Big Finish for the love of stories. You're listening to the Big Finish podcast, release date Sunday the 8th of January 2023. When I write in my little blue book, I sometimes think I can hear the little blue box that inspired it. She's spinning towards me through the vortex, ready to scoop me up and drop me in the middle of a restaurant or the middle of a revolution, depending on the mood of her pilot. I wonder if I can hear her now, a day earlier than expected. Willkommen, I'm Benji Clifford, he's Nick Briggs, this is Big Finish, audiobooks, audio drama and this podcast, all for the love of stories. A new year is thoroughly underway, as if you needed me to tell you that. In a moment, Benji and I will be tackling all the most important issues of the day, moustaches included. Then, after that, the Good Review Guide returns with the Eighth Doctor Adventures, Charlotte Pollard, the Further Adventurous. The only place in the world where one can relax entirely, you said. Then we go behind the scenes with this week's major release, The Diary of River Song, Friend of the Family, The Rules of the House by Tim Foley. Hello, I'm Alex Kingston and I play River Song. Following that, we once again delve into listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Also available this week and equally as major as River Song, Torchwood Double, an Auton Shocker by Guy Adams. Hello, I'm Guy Adams and I'm the writer of Torchwood Double. Then the Randomoid Selectatron will be cranking itself up to give you a 25% discount on a randomly selected release. We don't know what it is, but through the magic of editing, here's a clip of what Benji will eventually randomly select. What's your business here? Beautifully random. Oh, And finally, as is our tradition, we round up the podcast with a free 15-minute drama tease. And this week, of course, it's The Diary of River Song, Friend of the Family, The Rules of the House by Tim Foley. You don't have to be an archaeologist to see that nothing's lived here for a very long time. Even so, you ought to be wearing a protective suit. Not today. Got the wrong kind of heels for a hazmat. Now, I just want everyone to know that uh, for Benji and I, it was really difficult when we mentioned the house. (laughs) You knew it. You knew it. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. In the house. It's uh, Benji and I always have to do uh, an impersonation of Patrick Allen, the uh, famous... uh, Barrett Home, Barrett yeah. Holmes. But he was—he did the announcement for the Protect and Survive or something. He did, guide. yes, yeah. he did. He and was... he said, you know, using the whatever it was in the house. Yeah, was it move the body to another room in the house? He's incredibly. He was <laughs> we in loads be of things. laughing about such terrible things. I'm so sorry. Well, he was but in yeah. children's television series Tugs as the narrator. So of course, was when he? you hear it, and he's got such a—he's that that incredibly important voice. Yes. When, you know, it's slightly disturbing when when you know he's saying there are these lovely little cuddly little toy boats, <laughs> and it's the same voice. It's the actual voice of nuclear Armageddon. <laughs> Um, funnily enough, actually, I have some boring but interesting yes. information. Yes, um, which, I like um, it. Jonathan Carley sent over, actually. Oh, the, the war doctor. Yes. The war doctor himself. Um, yes. Full of great information. And does it's, a great it's about, John Hurt voice, basically, is what we're saying, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about. He certainly does. And it was about um, Patrick Allen recording the uh, stuff 
regarding um, nuclear protect Armageddon. Su- yeah, protect and survive. I'm pretty certain it was protect called, and survive. It? Yes, they, I've got. There's a. Pa- I do have the pamphlet somewhere actually. Yes. Um, from my. Thank goodness we might need it <laughs> in case of emergency. Um, in the house. <laughs> in the. <laughs> It's just—it's such a weird quote that now you and I, any time a house is mentioned in any context, we both go in the house. In the house, it's—it's it's just. I think it must have started when we were in the car together, weren't we? And it just became in the <laughs> Going house. To big finish day. Yes. I can't find oh. the. Cl- oh. He sent a clip, did he? It wasn't a clip. Maybe, maybe he just said it in a voice. But basically, it was that that he recorded it in Covent Garden in his studio in Covent Garden he was doing a play that Who day Patrick Allen did Patrick Allen was doing a play that day so he had to really quickly get in there to record all the stuff for Protect and Survive which he did in a day and yeah. then go back to doing the play which of course opens up so many questions of, I hope it was a comedy well, that's exactly what I said I was like, can you imagine that like he's just he pops in and says you, you know and if you all put a mattress on top of yourself it may save you from burning alive and then <laughs> ten minutes later you know goes on stage and does a pratfall you know Yes, yes. <laughs> doing panto that would be even Wolf's better Vicar, yeah. <laughs> but, um, in the house in the house <clears throat> anyway uh, this is vastly off topic but we don't mind because this is the big finish podcast um why do all the guards in doctor who the sea devils have mustaches <laughs> i so i was thinking about this this morning 1972 john pertwee i uh, think it's because uh, it's Katie cold Manning. out there on that sea fort uh, They're but, not but, in the sea fort. They're on land. Oh, yeah. Well, it was cold on land. They're by the beach. You know, it's a bit chilly by the beach. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking that maybe maybe there's some science to be had here that the chin doesn't get as cold as under the nose. So they had to, to grow a moustache just to be careful. But it is, I mean, they're clearly, thank you for that. It's a theory. I'll take it under consideration. I realised for a moment I just didn't react to it. Like, <laughs> shut up, you know. Uh, sorry. Um, there is... There was obviously a design stylization of the guards keeping the master prisoner in that little sort of house come forth because they've all got those funny little cloaks and uh, berets and they were trying to make them not look like units and they drive around those little Renaults, don't they, with all the doors (laughs) taken off. And they ride horses as well. So they were, and they had those funny badges, you know, do you remember the badge with a sort of black and white motif on it? And so you imagine the design department thought, and we'll also. Yeah, I think they'll all have moustaches as well. Do you think it's because Nicholas Courtney wasn't in it, that episode, as the Brigadier, and they thought, well, there's a severe lack of moustaches in this episode, so we... <laughs> or, or, or possibly, is there a, is there an underlying thing that the moustache is sort of seen at that time as a level of seniority? Oh. Because Nicholas Courtney didn't have a moustache. That was, a, that, was an, no. that was an actual... They they made the decision to give him a moustache. So yes. surely, perhaps they're sort of like, well, they, we need to make these people outside of unit and probably they're, they're like unit, but more powerful, like kind of, you know. Stop. But can you imagine, you know, they go for the interview and they say, well, yeah, we would. We think you're an ideal candidate to guard the master <laughs> on his island hideaway. Um, but can you grow a moustache uh, over the next two weeks? <laughs> you think about the poor bloke though who turns up with mutton chops instead and got the wrong memo oh no but he's got and so's oh no <laughs> and are they all false moustaches in the production I reckon they must be real surely 
Otherwise, so they only, then they only had to. They, they could only cast people who had moustaches. I mean, there were more moustaches around in the seventies. There were a lot said. of moustaches, and there's probably if you're in the BBC Television Centre, you'll you know you'll be in the bar and you'll say, oh, "Who's who's got a moustache? I think John's got a moustache, doesn't he? We'll get him in. He'll he'll do the morning, <laughs> you know." Or the alternative to that is that they've got some kind of bucket full of false moustaches. They're going around <laughs> handing them out like those daffodils in the autons, you know. Like, like oh, yes, here's one Killer for you. Moustaches. Now there is. A storyline. <laughs> Just uh, yeah, giving give it to the tea ladies. Do you want one as well? I mean, we've got some here. You might as well. <laughs> oh, you can imagine the moustache, you know, is triggered by a certain signal and starts going, <laughs> goes straight up their nostrils and into their mouth and stops them from breathing. Yeah. It's just a That's the master's of... backup plan in the in the Sea Devils, but he never gets round to it. Doctor Who and the big hairy bogies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Delgado's real, his real plan there. Sit down. Blow your nose. Um. <laughs> the, the funny thing is that Colonel Trenchard, who is in charge, doesn't have a moustache. He's, he's just ran off, clearly. And he's um, quite incompetent, and you think that he probably wouldn't be able to shave himself, you know. There's a really weird shot in there where he finally thinks that the master's a bit dodgy, so he decides to phone Whitehall. And the only reason that he doesn't get any help uh, to stop the sea devils is because some annoying secretary won't put him through to the <laughs> secretary of state and he's going well, your head will be on the block oh, sorry that's the wrong impersonation but it starts with him the shot starts as an extreme close-up of him tapping his hand on the desk and then the camera follows his arm all the way up to his shoulder and then gets to his face where he's on the phone it's a really weird choice of a shot, you know. Why is his why is his arms and shoulder important? Why is that? What is that? What is that meant to tell us that we don't already know? But yeah, they won't put him through in time. Basically, the the sea devils start invading the castle before he's been put through. Now we never find out what happened when that when that guy got put through. You know, the secretary of state for um, bearded aliens. Uh, you know, it's a, hello, it's a, hello, Colonel Trenchard. All he could hear on the other end of the line was... <laughs> <laughs> so there seems to be somebody Clark. playing some god-awful noise on the other end. Um, it's, One I of the reasons the... I'm watching it is because I'm being slightly inspired by Malcolm. I'm doing a Malcolm Clark-esque sort of cross between him and Dudley Simpson score for one of the stories of the third Doctor Adventures, The Return of Joe Jones. So you're doing a lot of... Yeah, I can't quite bring myself to be that abstract, but I've got some abstract weird stuff going on. A few yeah. flavours. Add some flavours in there. Give it a but bit I, of that. But I keep stopping and thinking, have I gone too far? Let us know, listeners, when it comes out. <laughs> I don't think that you can ever go too far with, with that type of music. It's just it's just slightly crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny. I was thinking this the other day when I was um, I was watching a few different bits and bobs. with, And all of it kind of has that sort of synthesised orchestral stuff mm. in it, like in the 70s. And I was sitting there thinking... Did they sit there and actually think to themselves, like, this sounds like a real orchestra, this is fantastic? Or did they even then think to themselves, this is a compromise? Or did they think, this is new technology, this is the future? Yeah, I think they thought a bit of the latter of those mm. three, I think, yeah. Because it's obvious now that when you hear it, you think, oh, well, they couldn't get an orchestra for this one. You know? Yeah, but, yeah. But I do quite like it. I do like more things need to have synth brass 
I mean, yeah, of course, I've got the option with these scores of using great samples of real instruments. But, you know, I am opting for I'm using my Roland SH-101. I'm pointing to it now, the old analog synthesizer. And also that vacuum plug-in oh, yes. in Pro Tours. And that's got some really good old roaring sounds, you know. So There's a lot to be said for boxing yourself in. And it's really... Yes. it's a small really palette of instruments. It's really hard at times, though, especially when you're composing Doctor Who, because it's very easy. There are certain things you can do in audio drama that are very easy. Like if you want to create tension, you can just get some low strings and just, mm. you know, and straight away that signifies to the audience that something dodgy's going on here or they're meant to be scared. But you can't do that with the third doctor because they never had enough strings to do that kind of thing. Exactly. So how, so how do you achieve that? So you have to think, how would they have done it? Or, and, and that is where the, the tough line of having everything at your disposal you can if you want to do that, but is it right to do so? Well, you know. let's let that question linger in the air. Or have you got an answer? Uh, I don't have an answer. <laughs> the answer is whatever our listeners want to make of it. But I do have the next segment of the podcast, oh, I see. which is the Good Review Guide, the GRG, uh, finding the latest positive comments about Big Finish Productions to help recommend them for you. As promised, this week we're looking at the Eighth Doctor Adventures, Charlotte Pollard, the further adventurous. The only place in the world where one can relax entirely, you said. A spirit all of its own, you said. Like a wine, it has a bouquet, you said. I did. Well, it's got a bouquet, all right. Doctor, it absolutely honks. It's Paris, Charlie. City of lights, city of life, city of love. Come to think of it, it does smell a bit. From Big Finish Productions. Oh, Lord, we seem to have roused the world. Indeed, Miss Pollard. When I say courier... Don't worry, I'll courier like a lapper. Courier! Doctor Who, Charlotte Pollard, the further adventuress. What are they? Giant moths? Oh, I hate moths. Hate moths! What's that? That is my sonic screwdriver. Oh, 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 Selka! What did you do to my daughter? Doctor! No! It's taking off! Doctor! Stop firing! It's gone. Yes, and it's taken Charlie with it. I've never seen them do anything like that before. These are the coordinates for the Garazone system. Garazone? When we went there, you nearly... Died, yes, I know. What's happening? The Doctor's doing something clever. Like what? Not entirely sure. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute! Are you saying that my daughter was being controlled by a signal? There's nothing we can do. They brought this on themselves. You can't just go tearing up an ecosystem and not expect consequences. Big finish for the love of stories. I need help. And you're the only other person I can think of who has a motive for getting back up there to Amsterdam's airship. True, and I'll tell you something else. What's that? You are going to be extremely grateful you teamed up with me. Just go to bigfinish.com and type adventures, which sort of looks like adventures, but with another S at the end. Yeah, I thought uh, it was a typo when Alan Barnes, the script editor, <laughs> sent me that. I said, I said I've said i corrected that. He said, no, it's not a mistake. <laughs> it's, it actually is that. 
Uh, but put that into the search pane at the top to find that release. First up, uh, the blog of delights, uh, blogspot.com, child of the 70s, says, with McGann and Fisher effortlessly turning back the years, this is both a nostalgic treat and a quality listen. Don't wait another 20 years, guys, and that's four stars. Probably could be a swear word, like, gosh, don't wait another 20 years, guys. That's what I think that is. Well, it wasn't 20 years since Charlotte Pollard was last in it, but it is a funny thing to think of, you know, there I was back recording the first ones with Charlie and the Eighth Doctor. And, you know, one day we'd be revisiting it when um, India Fisher, who was just a young slip of a lass, if I may use that slightly offensive term. Slipper uh, of a lass. <laughs> uh, and there, here she is, you know, mother of two. Uh, many years later thinking oh am I okay to play Charlie again of course you are Uh, massmovement.co.uk Tony Filer now I don't know whether Tony's written anything for Mass Movement recently but he always used to write a lot for them I'm glad to see him back there as we know Tony Filer um, uh, erroneously related to um, (laughs) Bill Filer from the Claws of Axos, which is a 1971 story. I won't explain it again. I explained it last week for someone who said they didn't know the Claws of Axos if it scratched them on the bottom or something. They didn't say that. Charlotte Pollard, the first... I'll shut up and get on with reading this review. Shall I? What do we think? Well, why not? Why not? Okay. Charlotte Pollard, the further adventurous, is everything you want it to be. It's nostalgic in as much as it's Charlie's from early in her travels with the Eighth Doctor. All bouncy energy and can-do spirit. (laughs) Thank you. But it's modern in the complexities, the messages and the richness of its writing. There's enormous fun in The Mummy Speaks. Oh, it's fantastic, that story. Eco-essages and body horror in Eclipse. Temporal jiggery-pokery and the complicated nature of the truth in The Slaying of the Writhing Mass. And a rich adventure essay on the ethical complications complications, of war in Hearts of Orion. That last one was written by me, Hearts of Orion. Um, You'll burn through these stories because once you've started, you won't want to stop. And while The Further Adventurous goes out of its way to make the point that it's a one-off, it's good enough to make you ask exactly why it should be. I see everyone's wanting more. We should do more, shouldn't we? I've I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Tony Filer has, or Tony Flying Circus, has a real talent for putting his finger on the nub of stuff on the pulse and that's actually i do if you haven't heard it the mummy speaks is just such a great story by alan barnes i loved it <laughs> get on it get on it warpedfactor.com matthew kressel says the further adventurous proves to be more than an exercise in nostalgia it's a delightful reminder of a tardis duo from long ago whose chemistry remains strong even now it's also a testament to big finish's output the caliber of its storytelling abilities and productions because across these four stories they offer up a mix of old and new and offer a trip back in time to halcyon days if that's not pure doctor who then what is exactly And, uh, and i always know that matthew kressel's name is pronounced kressel because he wrote in to tell us when I asked, there which I thought was brilliant. He says, Cressel like castle. So there you go. Is Cressel like castle? Cressel. Water Cressel. Uh, who? 
Is it a form of bullying to be funny about people's names? No. It's fine, is it? <laughs> no, Benji's decided. Okay. Uh, whoreview.com. There's a little hyphen between who and review, which I think is kind of beautiful. <sighs> hyphen. A glorious return for the Eighth Doctor and Charlie and a wonderful dose of nostalgia for their early adventures together. Not that I can remember them. This reviewer wasn't even born when they first came out. Oh, my goodness. I feel so old. Paul McGowan and India Fisher are an absolute joy to hear back together and I hope we don't have to wait as long for some more further adventurous in the future. Mm, highly recommended. Well, you're making me think. Mm, you never know. Blogtohoo.com, Peter Nolan, who's a fantastic actor from the 70s. Mm, he was in very the good. That, line, song, you know. that song he did, what was it? Oh, well, oh. Whoops Wears Me Trousers. Yeah, brilliant <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and The Same to You, which is a film starring <laughs> William Hartnell. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. And The Same to And Tommy Cooper and Sid James. I can imagine that was a, a really fun... A really fun green room to be had around there. You know, just sitting. Lots of cigarettes, I can imagine, as well. Oh, God, yes. Uh, the Further Adventures is a minor revelation in showcasing just how perfectly Paul McGann plays the Doctor's charming, whimsical side. Uh, with the Eighth Doctor pushed into increasingly dark places over the course of recent years, mm-hmm. it's a timely reminder. Nice point. As a bit of time travel down Big Finish's personal timeline, the box set is a smashing success. Hopefully it's a trip we don't have to wait another 21 years to make again. Blimey, blimey. Yeah, but they're talking about from the beginning of the Charlotte Pollard. The beginning! The original! Um, Yes. But, and you know, one of the main reasons why it's so good is Alan Barnes, who was the script editor and, and wrote The Money Speaks. But obviously, everyone else made fantastic contributions, not least Ken Bentley, who directed it as well. Uh, we made this network.com, Baz Greenland, uh, sometimes miscredited as Bad Greenland, um, which, you know, sounds like a sort of xenophobic comment, doesn't it? Uh, this is a superb set from Big Finish and a very welcome return for Charlotte Pollard and the Eighth Doctor. Now, are we guessing that he's going to say it has to be, you know, we can't wait 20 years or whatever let's see shorter stories allow for well-paced tales and each writer brings a very different style of adventure that adds pathos and variety to Doctor Who Charlotte Pollard the further adventurous India Fisher and Paul McGann are as great together as they were 20 years ago and are backed by some great guest cast uh, performances that coupled with Ken Bentley's strong direction and amazing scores by Joe Kramer really bring this set to life no no mention not bothered not bothered (laughs) not bothered Um, Baz Greenland not bothered no bothered. No complications. Uh, <laughs> on the Twitter sphere, uh, Rex EV says, um, "That sounds like a king." Um, extra ve- Rex. extra vehicular. <laughs> like it. Uh, just finished Big Finish's new box set, Doctor Who, Charlotte Pollard, The Further Adventuress. Many new good stories and acknowledgement of fans wanting a reunion of Eight and Charlie. Mm. Hope this is happening. Uh, I loved Heart of Orion so much. It was a really interesting story. Love it all. Ooh, that is my one. Thank you very much. It was vaguely a sequel to Sword of Orion, but not with Cybermen in, if yeah. that means anything to anyone It's listening. all in the title, in it, there? A little nod. A little nod. Fish, fish, fish. Um, so, and finally, from the Twitosphere, uh, the metal at the metal Hoovian. <laughs> Made the of metal, metal tin. Hoovian. 
Uh, Charlotte Pollard, the further adventures from At Big Finish, is an awesome, in capital letters, set of stories featuring one of the best duos in Doctor Who history. Wow. Such wonderful scripts by Alan Barnes, Lisa McMullen, Eddie Robson. Oh, brilliant, Eddie. And me, Big... Uh, Briggs, Briggs Nicholas. Uh, fantastic across the board. A must listen. You must listen, says the metal Hovian. And that's it from the good review guy this week. Next time <laughs> we'll be t- talking about the fifth Doctor Adventures 41. Good old guy. The good review guy. It's a sort of he's, he's a nice guy. Peter Nolan. Let's Peter see. Nolan. He is the Peter Nolan's the good review guy. He is. That's him. That on the t shirt. Still to come on the podcast, a possibly random mention of our first Doctor actor, Stephen Noonan. That may have been it. Uh, listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Our behind-the-scenes trip to Torchwood double and some Auton action. Plus the randomoid Selectatron, as random as ever, giving you a 25% discount on a great audio adventure. But first, it's out this week on Thursday, the 12th of January. So let's delve behind the scenes with The Diary of River Song, Friend of the Family, The Rules of the House, in the house, by (laughs) Tim Foley. (laughs) Protect and survive. Hello, I'm David Richardson. I'm the producer of River Song, Friend of the Family. Settle down, close your eyes, and I'll tell you all I know about the impossible River Song. It was an interesting time, actually, because um, Matt Fitton, who normally script edits River Song, wasn't available to do this box set. So John Dorney kindly stepped in to script edit this one. And I was very keen that we do something quite different, because what we could have done is taken our existing plans for River and pass those over to John, and John would script edit them. I'd come up with some thoughts as to something we could do which was a bit different this time I was very 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 keen to work with Tim Foley again who writes so much quality stuff I mean so so many scripts I've worked on with Tim which just melt my heart they're they're just beautiful Um, and I wanted to give him a whole box set to work on I just wanted to throw four episodes out him and say write me a river song story along these lines. Hello, my name is Tim Foley and I am the writer of The Diary of River Song, Friend of the Family. So this came about, as usual, with all my wildest ideas. It was a provocation from David Richardson, who said, can you write one four-hour-long story? And he'd been watching a TV show called This Is Us, which uh, is a very emotional domestic drama told over multiple time frames. I gave him This Is Us, the American series This Is Us, as an example, where the storytelling is told in a completely non-chronological way, and yet, at its core, the story wasn't science fiction. So This Is Us, there's no science fiction in it at all. But its its storytelling style is very high concept. So I went away and watched it and wept. And then I was talking to John Dorney about other big generational stories. We were thinking of the likes of the, the Forsyth saga or something that had just been broadcast the year before, John Finnemore's Souvenir Programme, the ninth season of that 
which if you haven't heard, I do recommend it, is a beautiful meditation on on family and heritage. And yeah, we just decided to tell one big, massive story. We didn't take any story from the from that. We we just I just gave him that as an example of a format I would love him to do. And that's why he came back with the idea of this family river meeting them through the generations out in a completely haphazard order and solving the mystery of the house and this family. And what I really loved is Tim puts in there a little mention of the Pearson Institute, I think it is, and the Pearsons are the family in This Is Us. So uh, we, he, he, gave, he gave a little nod to, to my favourite series. Hello, I'm Alex Kingston and I play River Song. You have your diary? I'm not using that. If I'm getting swept up in ugh, whatever this domestic drama is, I need to keep a record of everything that's happening. Forgive me, that sounds very much like the purpose of a diary. And like I said, Hugo, I'm not using that. This is a really new venture for me because normally the episodes within a box set are all sort of like an individual episode is its own standalone story. Whereas this box set is one big story. So it's like a novel with lots of chapters. So each episode is almost like a chapter. It's a bit like the Foresight Saga, but a lot of mystery and intrigue. I can't help you. Can't or won't? Oh, a little bit of both. I know what that's like. Though it's not much fun being on the other side for once. So normally, each day, we just record the episode, which is its own individual story. But this time, because we have, we basically are jumping from 1936 to 1962, 63 to 1988 to 2014. So we're taking each day, we're recording that particular year and era. Uh, so it means that there's a lot of jumping around within the script because uh, River Time jumps throughout the the story. I'm Isla Blair and I play older Mary. I'm Wendy Craig and I play older Maddie. Do you know what happened back then, River? I don't. But you're at the beginning of your journey, aren't you? So there's every possibility... You're about to find out. Just go to bigfinish.com to find this one and type friend of the family into the search pane at the top. And remember, it's released. That was the search pane. And remember, it's released this week on Thursday, the 12th of January. Meanwhile, it's time for listeners' emails. And the beautiful thing is, it's not just released this week, they're released every week. As listeners' emails, they're always here and you can be part of it. All you have to do is just send, send them into podcast at bigfinish.com. That's what Adam Graham did on the 4th of December with a subject here saying John Dorney's cannon fodder. (laughs) Says here, Dear Nick and Benji, uh, I'm writing regarding the whole cannon issue that has put Mr. John Dorney in the proverbial doghouse at Big Finish with K9. (laughs) Not bad. Bad company. 
Oh, bad company. Um, Canon and Doctor Who is a tricky question. Yes, yes. In most works of fiction, the canon helps determine whether an event happens that binds the characters in the universe and also binds creators of future works. Well, in other things, a canon just blasts holes in things. Different spelling. Um, for example, the original uh, Sherlock Holmes stories and novels by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle are canonical, and anyone who wants to write a Sherlock Holmes story that they wish to be taken seriously has to consider those stories and not contradict them. On the other hand, other Sherlock Holmes novels, adaptations, movies, and alas, even audio dramas can't be said to bind the writers of future Holmes stories beyond perhaps the series they're writing for. Mm. It also can establish a timeline of events for properties like Star Trek, so an established order of events can present to support future works. With Doctor Who, canon has to be viewed as much looser and there's an in-universe justification that timey-wimey madness rewrites the fabric of reality. Events happen every year or so to make this happen. The Time War, the Big Bang, the non-canonical Nick uh, will doubtlessly add events of the Two Masters, the Flux, the time that Graham put bleach in the TARDIS washing machine when he shouldn't have, <laughs> etc. Um, whilst things usually end up, to quote a Gallifreyan proverb, Hunky Dory, great album by David Bowie, time has been subtly rewritten. Certain events that happened no longer did. In fact, it seems likely that from the series that some of the events that transpired in some episodes of the revived series no longer happened for people living in later series. Does that make those episodes non-canonical? I would say not. Um, this is why, when it comes to Doctor Who, that the everything is canonical statement by Nick makes sense. Everything is canonical, but not all of it affects the current timeline on the television programme. Of course, in our universe, that means that the only stories that impact the time are those the current showrunner recognises. Whether canonical or not, I think Mr. Dorney's massive body of work for Big Finish is the best Doctor Who written in the 21st century. Works like Solitaire, Palindrome, Wrath of the Iceni, The Red Lady, The Monsters and Metropolis stand tall with the best stories of modern era, and fans owe it to themselves to enjoy Dorney's great body of work at Big Finish. Questions of canon aside. Finally, a question somewhat related, I found myself wondering when listening to the last, for now, 10th Doctor box set, uh, I was wondering if some of the plans for the box set were made prior to Russell's signs, uh, signs? Signing, I assume, or, you know, and plans for The Power of the Doctor, and the BBC opted to work around what you'd already produced, particularly with Ace meeting the 10th Doctor on audio before meeting the 13th Doctor in a special in which David Tennant also appeared. At any rate, it all worked in a quite lovely way, despite any potential clash with the continuity. Uh, best regards, Adam Graham, sent from a timeline where I sent this email as opposed to one in which I did not. <laughs> 
Well, I'd just like to pick out a couple of phrases from that uh, email that amused me. Mr. Dorney's massive body was one that really that made, made me, me laugh. chuckle. And enjoy John Dorney's great body is another one that <laughs> made me laugh. Anyway, but they are great scripts, and he is a great writer, full of imagination. And I don't know why he said his work wasn't canonical, uh, or indeed if he ever did. I mean, I've never seen the quote, frankly, and he's never said it to me. So bless him. He's a genius. Genius. Um, yeah, I mean, all that business about Ace meeting the Doctor. and I mean, you know, the, I think there's a lot of truth when you say uh, I, it means that the only stories that impact the time are those the current showrunner recognises or knows about. I mean, the thing is that Chris Chibnall, I don't think, has ever listened to Big Finish. I think that's true. I mean, he, it's not that he doesn't like the idea of it or anything we've chatted about big finish in the past but so he's not to know that we've done a mary shelley story or that ace has met other doctors since uh survival you know which of course she completely in the power of the doctor she says last she says to the master last time i saw you you were a cat and yeah so i mean that's what happens when lots of people contribute to Doctor Who. I know I irritate people by saying this, but I don't really care. I think it just has to be the best you can do at the time. And, uh, and it's it's nice if things match up and there's an elegance, but it's bound not to happen because the simple reason is when, you know, and Big Finish was licensed to make Doctor Who drama. And when it was uh, licensed to do so, the BBC at the time announced that it was canonical and it was an official continuation. That That's the reason it's canonical, because the BBC, who are the primary creators of Doctor Who, said it was. That's all. It's not me saying it. I mean, it is me saying it. I'm just agreeing with what they initially said. Now, may, maybe someone at the BBC's changed their mind about that, but I don't think so, really. So it's just... It's you know it has always been the case that Doctor Who is a vast sprawling thing where it contradicts itself because script editors who worked on the show at one point hadn't read or seen the previous episodes. All sorts of things like that have happened in Doctor Who, and I think we just have to do the best we can. And um, good, you know, yeah, a friend good. of mine who's writing a Doctor Who script for us is really wants to write a story that explains the whole Ace Power of the Doctor thing. <laughs> But um, I'm not sure that's a good basis for an actual story. I mean, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? If if we all spent the time to work everything out from every book, every comic, every big finish audio, every you know story, but some people on the back like of to a do serial that. packet, then yeah, I guess be you know be a guest. But I think if it gets if it gets in the way of a good story, that's hard as well. So you know, some things just leave it to the imagination. Yeah, and I think I mean I think. You know, if you can weave it in, of course, make it all line up, that's better. But for various reasons, it doesn't happen. And they're often boring practical reasons. Next up, this is from Michael House. In the house. Thank you. Fans of Charade. Charade. Uh, To whom it may concern, as of this writing, my living partner and I have finished listening with enjoyment to Here Lies Drax from the Eighth Doctor Adventures Connections box set. The many allusions we spotted to the plot of one of our favourite films 
charade uh, added to the pleasure the story gave us. The first thing we noticed for certain was the funeral parlour scene with the various figures trying to see if the deceased was in fact deceased, especially the mirror over the corpse's face to check for breath, and it merrily went on from there, or so I thought. Yet no one mentioned the connection in the behind-the-scenes material. Did I imagine this seeming tribute? Please advise. Thank you, as always, for your time, consideration, and excellent work. Be seeing you, Michael House, Tokyo, Japan. Um, Michael, I did uh, ping John Dorney an email about this and he said absolutely <laughs> that is, this is the case he said but he deliberately uh, didn't mention it and he doesn't think that the interviews at the end should give away little uh, um, easter eggs like this you know he wants it to remain for good people like yourself to spot and be delighted by but he completely acknowledges that influence so there you go some good investigative work there by Michael House uh, we've got one here uh, the last email from Jacques uh, the subject of this one is behind the scenes intro sound mm-hmm. hi Nick and Benji hi, hi there we've got, we got this up to a fine work of art haven't we Nick I mean we really have well oiled machine um, I was talking to a friend today about the sound Big Finish uses to introduce its behind the scenes sections and we mm-hmm. got thinking about the origin of it Okay, that's the, that's as close as I can kind of do it in my mouth. Can you try that's and do the, that noise? I don't know. I think they're both kind of. I, there's no way it goes <laughs> but does it really do like <laughs> I can't I know what I mean this is the best bit of the podcast you know that don't you <laughs> I know what I mean um, did anyway, you yes. Nick have any part in introducing this sound that's become such a big Finnish staple mm. and if you did do uh, do you any chance know who created it or why the sound was chosen thanks Jacques so what do you think is the answer to this, Benji? I've got the answer, but what do you think the answer is? I think it was you, and I think it was originally written for something Big Finish related, and it was used, and it stuck. Well, well, my answer is this, and I'm only 90% sure it's right, actually. I did, by the way, when you said Big Finish staple, I've wished I'd had a stapler here to make a staple sound effect, but... You can't have everything, can you? Um, I think that it is the beginning. It's a sound created by Jamie Robertson. Ah. And it's the beginning. He sent me some uh, sort of tracks of music he'd done very early on when he started working for us, Jamie. And and, And one of the tracks began with that sound. I'm pretty certain. And I think that I used it in a trailer or something. And I reckon that maybe Jamie Griffiths, who does a lot of our behind the scenes stuff, or maybe even uh, Martin Montague, who did loads of really brilliant um, behind the scenes uh, edits. There was one in a recent podcast for um, Relative Dimensions, which was done by Martin, who's a fantastic editor. Um, uh, I think he, he might have taken it, but I think that's where it comes from. But please, if any of those people whose names I've just mentioned are listening, please <laughs> tell me for sure whether I'm right or wrong. But that's what I think it is. Thank you. 
Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. I, it used to be me just going, CD extras. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, look, that's it for the uh, this week's emails. Um, please do keep them coming. Lovely stuff. The randomoid selection is firing up as we speak, readying itself to offer a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. What a great offer. It is, uh, isn't it? It's really good, yeah. You know, we'll also be teasing you with the first 15 minutes of the Diary River song, Friend of the Family, as well. God. In the house. In but before all house. that, it's time to delve behind the scenes with this week's exciting Torchwood release, Double by the inestimable Guy Adams and featuring the Autons. Oh, that was total... Yeah, total total destruction. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this thing has cover-up all over it. All over it. All over it. Hello, I'm Guy Adams and I'm the writer of Tortured Double. Uh, so the producer of the Tortured Range, James Goss, um, asked if I had any ideas for a two-part story um, involving a a new a new Tortured, uh, a politically tinged uh, British 1970s uh, set Tortured, um, a political thriller. I think is is what he originally asked for. Um, something very much in that sort of edge of darkness do much sort of vein is this really torchwood business so why double uh i think boringly probably the fact it was a two-part it was i knew it would be a double disc uh probably pressed a small button in my brain but the word alone has a lot of very obvious associations both with with spying uh and indeed with autons um and uh, in order to get my brain firing, uh, much like Roberta's. Um, once you have uh, at least three uh, blinking lights, you know you're on to a winner. Uh, it's a simple word, it's a simple kind of title for the story, but there's so much thematic stuff to play with. Hello, my name's Barnaby Edwards, and I'm the director of Torchwood Double. When I first read the script, I think from about pretty much page one, I had questions. It's so subtle and so dense as well, and so many layers, um, that I had to read it several times before I could actually get a handle on it. Um, and of course, it's not, you know, that, that complex doesn't mean complicated. Um, it's just a very, very layered, dense thing. But obviously, as the director, I have to be totally on top of that. I have to know everything that happens in the, in the script uh, in order to be explaining it to the actors, because... If the actors don't know, then the audience doesn't have a chance. Uh, we want the enigmas there. We want the the grey areas. We want all that, but we want it to be there deliberately, not by accident. Um, so yeah, I, I think I sent uh, I sent producer James Goss a lot of um, uh, of questions to be passed on to the writer uh, about specific moments. Who knows what? Who knows when? What type of guns are these? Uh, what sound is that that they're hearing? Are they genuinely having a bad dream or is it a reality? Is it a flashback? That kind of stuff. I think, you know, the audience may never need to know that, but I certainly needed to know it. Um, so, yeah, I love I love complicated, uh, complex things rather. And I think, uh, you know, 
so long as we absolutely know what it is, the audience are always, the listener is always intelligent enough to work it out. But we just have to be completely decided on what we're giving them for them to work it out. I'm sure people used to make sense. I'm sure I used to make sense. Roberta is such a, it's obviously the core part. It's the lead part of this story. But it's incredibly difficult to play. I mean, I just, when I read it, I just kept thinking, oh my God, you've really got to get the best actress you can for this one, because otherwise the whole thing falls to pieces. Yes, all the other parts are important, but they are so intrinsically linked to Roberta. Um, and, you know, I've I've known Louise for ages and I've done lots of other stuff with her and non-Doctor Who stuff as well as Doctor Who stuff. But it was, I think it's her performance in... Um, King Lear, which um, the big finish King Lear, which we directed with um, uh, the lovely David Warner. Um, and she had such power um, in that. Um, and it needs someone who has that power. Um, um, but having said that, Louise's performance has astonished me. Um, I knew she was brilliant. I cast her because I thought she'd be brilliant in this role, but I was genuinely surprised by how brilliant she was in this role. Um, it is a, it is just a, it's a once in a lifetime performance from from me directing an audio uh, uh, drama. It, it is a sensational, layered, nuanced, powerful, vulnerable, completely laying everything bare. Uh, performance. I, I, I cannot thank her enough. It is astonishing. My name's Louise Jameson and I'm playing Roberta. I didn't sleep well. Do you ever? Depends on the state of the drinks cupboard. It doesn't help. It helps enormously. So, uh, Roberta is our, our main character and it's always exciting and challenging to come up with uh, a new head of Torchwood. You know, uh, to run Torchwood would demand certain skills, a certain type of personality, or, or, or certainly a, a small pot of different types of personalities who, who uh, could take on that role. It was important for me to look to neurodivergence uh, because I am neurodivergent. And uh, the idea of offering a not dissimilar brain to my own uh, to a splendidly um, vinegary and uh, exciting lead character who could could take my divergences for a spin and, and see where they ended up uh, when it came to saving the world uh, please me. This script is amazing written by Guy Adams and describe her. She's uh, a mess She's incredibly intelligent. She's an alcoholic. She's probably a lesbian. She uh, has a heart of gold, but gets sidetracked and manipulated in ways she doesn't understand. To have a brain that can be thinking about everything all at once. Uh, brilliant, yes, perfect, how useful. We're used to that in, in our... our male heroes of the Sherlock Holmes of this world and the doctors really um, we don't get many women that, that have those sort of ticks. I think she's had a very very exciting life I think she's an adrenaline junkie so she's had the life that she's kind of chosen I wouldn't say it was happy but I wouldn't say it was sad either I would say it was exciting and dramatic 
and complicated. At least it's interesting. Isn't that always your main problem? And Double is released on Tuesday the 10th of January. Just go to bigfinish.com and type Double, Double into the search pane at the top to find it. Double. Any minute now, we'll be dramatising it with the first 15 minutes of the Diary of River Song, Friend of the Family. But first, it's... The Randomoid Selectatron, oh. where we randomly select a big finish release and offer you a 25% discount on it. Don't know whether you've heard about this, but uh, well, it's, there. it's quite a quite a quite a cutie. A uh, what have we got? Well, it's one three three Doctor Who City of Spires. Oh, City of Spires! Now this was the first of a trilogy with the Sixth Doctor and Jamie. Correct. I, d- I directed Correct. it. Yeah, an older Jamie as well. Actually, it's not the first one, is it? I think the first one was... Oh, maybe it was. No, it was the first one, because the next one was Wreck of the Titan. Yeah. George Moffat's in this one as well. Yes. Well, she's now known as Georgia Tennant, but she Mm. is credited here as Georgia Moffat. Uh, Let's hear the trailer. City of Spires. Get out of here. You? What's your business here? Of course. You wouldn't recognise me. For Scotland and freedom! For Scotland and freedom! You know the drill. Women and children to be rounded up, but no man left alive. Doesn't matter where it is or what period does it, there's always some tin pot tyrant ready to solve every problem with a gun. What did you say? The cap will know why you are here. Who are you? An English spy? James Robert McCrimmon, son of Donald and a piper like his father. You served the Laird Colin McLaren at Culloden. Are you ready, boys? Here, the same as you. Not a red cap, mind. He's just my jailer. I was sent here by the overlord he serves. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com. Yes, and Charlie Ross. Genuinely Scottish, which was required. James Albrecht as well was in it, and I'd met him on the set of uh, Victory of the Daleks. He played wow. one of the one of the flying officers, I think. John Banks, well, Richard of, Earl. Yeah, Richard Earl's in there. Yeah. Russell Floyd. I don't know. I, I don't remember Russell Floyd. Do you Russell know who Russell Floyd is? has been in plenty of big finishes, actually. I'm, Enemy I'm, of the Daleks, uh, Angel of Skatari, Paper Cuts, Patient Zero, Company of Friends, Forgotten Planet, Castle of Fear, The Eternal Summer, Plague of the Daleks, Thousand Tiny Wings, Survival of the Fittest. Uh, yeah, two companion chronicles as well. Goodness me! Yeah, there we go. Isn't that weird? I do, I do, I don't have any recollection of working with him. Eradicated from your but mind. He was, but he was in EastEnders until 1999. <laughs> uh, not, yeah. Let's have a so, look. So I would have thought I would have remembered working with an EastEnders actor. That just goes to show, doesn't it? Anyway, there you are. It's a great release. Um really lovely work I'm just trying to I can't remember who did the um, 
sound design. Andy Hardwick. Andy yeah. Hardwick, yeah. That's why it's so tight, beautiful, nice. And nice Fraser stuff. Hines and Colin Baker working together. That was hilarious. <laughs> two doctors nod. Indeed, indeed. Um, okay, now then. Uh, while I emailed Jackie Emery at Big Finish mm. to inform her of our random selection yes. so that she can set the offer live on yes. the bigfinish.com website, Benji, mm. would you like to remind people how to get this incredible 25% discount in the style of a guard with a moustache from the <laughs> Sea Devils? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thank pleasure. you. Right then, come step this way, please. Now, if you head over to bigfinish.com and uh, just head over to the podcast page, sir. Hold on a minute. You no. know Terry Walsh played one of them. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not He's surprised. He's the one with all the dialogue, yeah. He's the one with all the moustache. Um, go to podcast page uh, when you're on the podcast page, of course. Uh, just uh, There's a picture of myself and Nicholas Briggs, both with beards as opposed to moustaches. Um, <laughs> click read more to read more into that. Uh, and then underneath it says just click here and enter the code buck up as opposed to the code moustache that's buck up b-u-c-k-u-p all capital letters no spaces no complications enter that one in and you will get 25% off and a free moustache <laughs> from that bag that we keep at the BBC <laughs> it was a bucket I think it was a bucket I yes um, well thanks Ran another corker uh, next week's podcast is packed with all the good stuff as we rejoin the 8th Doctor, Paul McGann, in his struggle not to get involved in the Time War in a box set entitled Cass. The adventure is out on Thursday the 18th of January. Put that in your diary. And the podcast is out on Sunday the 15th. Don't miss it. Well, thanks again to all of you for listening. Just time to say this as per usual. The Big Finish podcast is presented by me, Benji Clifford, and him, Nick Briggs. He also wrote, produced, and edited it. Edited it. Edited it. And both Benji and I did this for the love of stories. And finally, on the Big Finish podcast, the Diary of River Song, Friend of the Family, The Rules of the House, by Tim Foley. In the house. <laughs> ah, there you go, all tucked in. Now, what kind of story would you like tonight, hmm? Oh, I see you've brought a book from the library. The Midnight Tides. <laughs> These ones are a little too spooky for you. <laughs> You'll read them when you're older. But if you'd like a tale of a ghost from long ago, perhaps it's time for you to know. You see, this family has long been haunted by a strange lady. She's not in the least bit scary, <laughs> at least only when she wants to be. But she shaped the life of your granddad, your great-granddad, your great-great... You get the idea. <laughs> she probably met the Mortimers as cavemen. Would you like to learn about her? To be ready, in case she shows up again? Hmm? All right. Settle down, close your eyes, and I'll tell you all I know about the impossible 
River Song. When I write in my little blue book, I sometimes think I can hear the little blue box that inspired it. She's spinning towards me through the vortex, ready to scoop me up and drop me in the middle of a restaurant or the middle of a revolution, depending on the mood of her pilot. I wonder if I can hear her now, a day earlier than expected. Tomorrow the semester ends and I've a glorious date on the shores of Glib. But today I have an unusual piece of university business. And I wonder if this involves my husband as well. What a wonderful day! <laughs> oh. Hello, Hugo. You appear to have left the shuttle. Oh, how observant of you. You appear to have left the shuttle with the prototype. Mm. Fits into my holster quite nicely, thank you. You appear to have left the shuttle with the prototype and without me. You realise I'm meant to accompany you and it everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yes, you mentioned it once or twice, or repeatedly through the entire voyage. Yet I found myself mysteriously deactivated when our descent to Earth began. <laughs> I'm afraid I've set off already. Don't worry, I'll look after your precious prototype and tell you how it goes. No need. You can leave the ship. I'd be a poor holographic assistant if I couldn't. But I disabled... You disabled the projector and the prototype. Yes, I had noticed that. <laughs> By accident. I was tinkering with the settings. Professor Pearson will have told you all about me. He knows I like to fool around. Yes, he certainly told me all about you. Which is why I installed a projector into that vortex manipulator of yours. <gasps> You did what? I suppose I was tinkering with the settings as well. I need to keep an eye on you, Dr. Song. You can't mess around with this. It's extremely delicate. So's the prototype. Uh, and you wonder why I switched you off? Aha! You admit it! Of course I do. I don't want you here. That's all right. I don't want me here either. But Professor Pearson has given me a job to do. 
Therefore, I must do it. Fine. This doesn't have to take long anyway. Though you may find me useful. I manage well enough on my own. I have Pearson's notes from the original expedition. I know what they found here, and I know why you're so interested. Oh, who's a clever hologram? <laughs> oh, me, most assuredly. Oh, if you're so knowledgeable about this place, you can tell me why it's still here. Don't see many Georgian manor houses kicking about the 52nd century. This whole section of England was protected and restored by galactic heritage. Academic institutions like ours have only recently been given access to it, which you'd know if you'd read Professor Pearson's assessment. I skimmed it. Before grabbing the prototype and heading straight here. The bit I skimmed disturbed me. Where are the papers? Seriously? You're not going to check in with the custodians first? You're just going to trample through the house. I'll wipe my feet on the welcome mat, at least. It's not just muddy footprints I'm worried about. Though I should attend to that, too. But hang on. You're a hologram. How do you have muddy feet? I'm made of heavy light. I can be corporeal when required. Oh, a solidogram. Even better. Oh, Dr. Song, I feel it's my duty, on behalf of the university, not to mention Professor Pearson personally, to point out you must proceed carefully. If you upset the custodians in any way... The quicker I see these papers, work out how they got here, the quicker we return. You make a compelling argument. This way. Mm -mm. I'll go first. Down the hall on the left. Thank you. You are leaving muddy footprints. Are you coming, or what? <sighs> what room is this? Would you like a guided tour? It's... I don't know. Some sort of sitting room. That door leads to the library, and that's where the papers are. I'll road test the echo gun in here, then. Make sure it doesn't damage what I came for. It's functioning perfectly. And please don't refer to the prototype like that. Like what? The echo gun. That's how the developers describe it, and it does what it says on the tin. I'm not sure where you get tin from. The prototype is made from terranium alloy, it can restore visual and auditory elements from centuries past. It's a technological achievement unparalleled in other institutions, and you want to give it a dumb nickname. It's not that impressive. It's the temporal equivalent of a brass rubbing. Here we go. Be careful where you point it. It'll damage anything organic. You don't have to be an archaeologist to see that nothing's lived here for a very long time. Even so, you ought to be wearing a protective suit. Not today. Got the wrong kind of heels for a hazmat. <coughs> right. Look to be in order. Impressive, isn't it? I can't really make out the details. If you focus the time frame instead of a general sweep through the, um, what is this, uh, 19th century? Mm-mm, 20th. It's a firm favourite of my husband's. Thought I might catch a glimpse of him. But with the quality on this thing, 
I'd hardly recognize him. Why are you deigning to use it, then? I'm detecting all sorts of temporal capabilities in your vortex manipulator. There are times, Hugo, when I want a sneak peek and not get involved by popping back. I'm going away tomorrow. Yes, something you never stopped talking about through the entire voyage. Anyway, there's another reason I'm keeping my distance. Which is? Now I know this isn't some romantic gesture, or he'd have lit a few candles at least. I need to avoid falling into a trap. A trap? <coughs> I suppose this dust won't affect you, will it? Oh, all these neglected books. That ought to be illegal. What do you mean, a trap? Isn't it obvious? Why else would there be... Ah, here they are. Indeed. Pearson wasn't wrong, then. He's not the kind of man to make mistakes. Plus, I double-checked his results. He recognised the temporal composition. There's only one type of paper in the universe with this physical signature. Before the pages were bound, they were soaked in the gravity wells at the end of time. If the stories are to be believed. They are. So we're right, aren't we? These are pages from the Diary of River Song. Give yourself a gold star. We'd have been quicker to identify them if you ever let Professor Pearson analyse your book as requested. Oh, nobody's getting their hands on my journal. Far too scandalous. But somebody got their hands on it and tore out a bundle of pages from it. And when I find whoever did this... I'll tear them, too. I suppose it's an intrusion, having someone leafing through your journal. There's more to it than that. At least the pages are blank. Not entirely. Oh? Pearson couldn't make anything out. Then he needs to get his eyes tested. He knew not to pick them up and disturb the scene. The ink has faded. It looks like my handwriting. But, of course, it could be forged. Learn the rules of the house. Find the key to the door. Save the bird from the nest. Draw the isle on the shore. And does that mean anything to you? Nope. If it's a Valentine's, it's a pretty obscure one. But then it's a riddle to solve. But you're wary of solving it. Somebody left these pages here, and they knew I would find them eventually. Eventually being the key phrase. They could have been here for centuries. Even so, I'm expected to pop back with my manipulator and see who left them. So, instead of doing what's anticipated... Ah, this is why you wanted the prototype. I'm impressed with my restraint. Can't always say I look before I leap. But this time, I'm definitely just looking. There are his and hers deck chairs all set up in front of Glib's three sons. I am not getting involved. I can't see anything. Uh-huh. It's scanning through the timelines. I'll put it on a wider sweep. Should your manipulator be doing that? Uh, I don't understand. It's sinking with the... 
What? What's happening? Oh, no, 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 no! Right. So much for just looking. How did that... Hugo? It says you're still online. Perhaps your visuals have cut out. See, this is the problem with holograms. Sorry, solidograms. Are you here? Maybe knock over a chair or something? Invisible, intangible. Oh, if you'd been like this on the way here, we may have got on. Hmm, we somehow synced with the echo gun. Whatever period it seized on, it yanked us there too. And scrambled my chronometer. Sometime in the 20th century, I think, but I'll just press the fast return switch and... Oh, I can't seem to go forwards in time. <sighs> this is your fault, isn't it, Hugo? You tapped into my manipulator, messed with the controls. Well, no wonder you're choosing to hide. But I am... I am a little concerned we may have triggered this trap. Ah, and it seems we have company. Maybe we should wait for her to let us in? Why? I have the key. <coughs> oh my gosh, the dust in here. Oh, it's going to set off my allergies. No, it isn't. I'm going to swell up and die. Help me bring in the bags. I need to find my EpiPen. Maybe it's in one of the bags. How have you brought four suitcases? I need outfits. We're not going anywhere. I still require options. Look at that staircase. What if I want to make a grand entrance down it? I'm sliding down the banister later. You are not. You'll fall and break your neck. But you're dying from allergies. I'm falling down the stairs. Reckon we'll haunt this place for a good while yet? Not sure we need to. 